David Butler Studio Podcast. We'd like to begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. He. Him. Testicle, testicle, wallet, watch. Well, that's that's, that's wine. Interesting. <laughs> I'm getting. Is um, it a Merlot or is it a Merlot? Well, I bought a Cab Merlot because mm. I, for some reason, have gravitated toward Cab Merlots in the wines that I've had. For right. some reason, I've always just really enjoyed that blend of grape. This one I'm getting, I'm getting like, uh, crushed rocks, <laughs> asphalt. I'm getting, a like a blackberry, some other kind of fruit in there. Hmm. Quite right. Simply pure, natural and handmade. Oh. Oh. The fruit was grown... Marindindi Ranges, mm-hmm. cool climate region where ripening takes place about two weeks later than our Yarra Valley vineyard. Uh, resulting wine, dense black cherry. There you go. Oh. Aroma shows subtle new oak complement, ripe fruit, hints of cassis, cassis, sorry, sherry, and plum. 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 Oh, there we go. Black plum. cherry and plum. Black cherry and plum. Black cherry, red wine. <laughs> and we're on. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus. I do love that song though. It's, I know you do. Because it was the first, um, it was the first song that I arranged for the show. Oh yeah. It was the first one where I was like, Oh, I think I found what this world sounds like. Okay. Like that was that moment. Yeah. Which I quite liked. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I think I was, I think I was subtly influenced by that mm. when I was writing that song for Peppy because mm. I had that sort of, because, you know, you had that, it, it was sort of like that bassy kind of drive to it, the, the black fingernails, red wine. And I was like, oh, it's got that sort of deep kind of groove to it. Mm. And I was like... That's what I sort of had in my mind when I was like, if I was to write a song for Peppy, then I, then I had the heartbeat. That... As soon as you said the heartbeat of it, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is the right world. <laughs> Some more wine. It's a nice wine. I like this. Yeah. I don't think it's my favorite that I've ever had, but it's... No, it's, it's, it's fruity. It's I, red and it's wet, so I'll drink it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish that it... Um, I think what it lacks for me is maybe a little more pepper, maybe a little more like, yeah, hit. Sorry. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Beers. It's a nice full body for a... Thank you. I mean, oh, the wine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, well, I mean... <laughs> Thank COVID for that. Natural. Oh, tell me about it. <sighs> I think it's been about 10 kilos that I 
have accumulated over the last 18 months or so. I don't have a scale in the house, so I couldn't tell you. That's a very wise decision because uh, it's so... Well, no, it, it, it is for the, the mere fact that it is more about how you feel yeah. and more how comfortable in your own skin and your own body you are yeah. than it is about a specific number. Because Absolutely. obviously, you're, if you're bulking up and you're working out, your weight's going to go up. Sure. But it's about the distribution and how your body is feeling and how your health is and all of that. So yeah. that number is kind of arbitrary in a way, in, in yes. that sense, in terms of placing value on one's body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's I mean, I think it's a huge thing for everybody, but the only lens I have um, for, for body image is the pressure on gay men to be one of, really at the moment, because everything culturally kind of shifts yeah right now you need to be either skinny hairless twink yeah super smooth youthful looking the timothy chalamet kind of oh god he's beautiful <laughs> oh my god he's beautiful <laughs> oh, oh i've struck a chord you just oh give me a minute just oh i mean good for uh, lucky Women, I suppose. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful man. Um, him, or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> specifically Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah. um, have you seen uh, Call Me By Your Name? No. Oh, it is such a deeply erotic, sensual, beautiful film. I think you were telling me about this a while ago. If, if, if it comes to talking about Timothy Chalamet, I'm here for it. <laughs> I don't know a lot of his work, but the work of his I've seen. I'm a fan. <laughs> is uh, Call Me By Your Name, is that on Netflix? I think it actually is. It's either Netflix or maybe Stan? I'll find out. Okay. I'll find out. I would definitely watch it again. So long it. as you don't mind me sitting there aroused next to you. <laughs> I mean, what else is new? <laughs> wow. Tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Christ. Um, but it, it, within the gay community at the moment, you're either that or you're kind of almost like jock dad bod type thing, which is muscular chest, muscular arms, maybe a little bit of a tummy, but solid and bulky and like ugh, daddy. So those are like the gay ideals. So it, you're one or the other. And okay. everybody else in between, which is the vast majority. Yeah. Uh, somewhat invisible and somewhat chastised for having any other kind of body type, which so much of that is not lifestyle based, but DNA. Yeah. You know, like your body frame is, it it would be. So much of it is genetic. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. DNA, thank you. But not just the frame itself, but like, in terms of your um, your ability to gain or lose weight, you yeah, know, or uh, your ability to retain muscle, mm. um, so much of that is genetic. I've retained a few muscles in my time. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, sorry, mum. Uh, <laughs> I win. Um, uh, but it, it would be unrealistic. And but for the for the longest of times, the, because my um, body image journey has been. Uh, a real peaks and valleys kind of uh, journey yeah. in terms of me feeling comfortable in my body. And I'm really pleased to say that right now I am so 
comfortable in my own skin and so comfortable in my own body. And I don't necessarily know how I got to that, yeah. but I'm very comfortable where I am now. But for the longest of times, I was in pursuit of a Timothy Chalamet, a Troy Savannah, like that really yeah. slim, yeah. almost um, androgynous build okay in a way yeah. um if, if that's a, a way to frame it um which is just not my frame like it, it, no matter how much weight i could lose no matter how much muscle i could lose yeah i would never be that because that is just not genetically yeah what is feasible yeah for me um and it was evident when i was first uh kind of dating and and meeting people it was evident that that's clearly what I was in pursuit of because I was looking for that in others. Yeah. If I couldn't be it, I would want to hook up with it. Yeah. Which is terribly objectifying, but... Well, no, it's it's actually... That's literally... It's so funny you said it because it's literally what I was just thinking because thinking about my own experience mm. as, a, as a straight man. I feel like in society we we put more pressure on people from a body image perspective when we sexually objectify those people. So because women are so much more sexually objectified by, you know, specifically by straight men than any other part of the community, there is so much pressure on women uh, in terms of body image. And within the gay community, it sounds like there's a lot of pressure among yourselves as well yeah you know and because it's because of that sexual objectification yes and as a as a straight man we're we're probably the least objectified of the you know well have you seen yourselves (laughs) that's fair that's fair (laughs) so sorry but well no but i suppose you know like i have I, i mean i do feel i do feel pressure to to look a certain way um not because well, I mean, and I suppose it is because I, uh, at the end of the day, I want to be found attractive hmm. by women. You know, I like I want women to look at me and and go, oh, you know, he looks good. How much of that is informed as well by comparison to other men, though? Because uh, I, I like the immediate example that jumps to my mind is your is our friend Tristan, yeah, who has an incredible muscular build because yeah. he works crazy hard on it yeah ridiculously like i i couldn't maintain that kind of Not lifestyle and the good. diligence to to achieve that but yeah. power to him that it makes him feel good and yeah and all of that but i know you've you've made like little offhand comments about not wanting to be topless around him because by comparison and i know some of that is yeah. just flippancy and making jokes but it it just makes me wonder what the even as a straight man, how much of that comes from comparing yourself against other men? Well, you know, it, that's that's actually funny because Why that is laughing? that is less about <laughs> that is yeah. less about me comparing myself to him, and I guess more about the perception I have that because he is so in that world and so obsessed with you know body fat percentage, and you know here are all my muscle groups, and you know like he's just a very lean, muscular guy. Yes. I feel like he would be looking at me and judging oh, me. You that's know? interesting. That's and that's yeah. Not you comparing against him, but you feeling 
compared or judged that's, by yeah that's right that's yeah. an interesting projection and, and yeah. that's not something that he has ever said to yeah, me in yeah. fact he's, he's been nothing but kind to me like mm. you know offering to work out with me and, and mm. help me train and give me exercises and stuff like that so you know that doesn't come from him at all that's completely within me yeah and my perception of and i guess it's a you know an insecurity thing myself because especially i feel you know like i'm i'm 39 years old I'm but sorry. i yeah but i still feel um when i look at myself in the mirror i still always feel like i'm looking at myself as a teenager in the way i felt as a teenager in a way because mm-hmm. i was scrawny i was not um attractive to you know the girls that i wanted to sure. find me attractive you know like i i was not sought after um and it wasn't until i was much older until i was sort of around my early 30s um when women started to kind of show an interest in me mm. um but because i had gone for so long without sort of being that object of desire i still see myself as less than if that mm. if that makes sense yeah so I, that that insecurity just comes from my own rearing i suppose <laughs> oh, I gotta choose my words. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but what you say is true. It's it's interesting. Still, instinctively, it's within me. As comfortable as I am in my own body now, when you talk about being a scrawny teenager, my first thought is, "Oh, you're so lucky." <laughs> like that is legitimately my gut instinct is just like, "God, I wish I had have been scrawny when I was a teenager." And is that because? As a gay man, that's what you find attractive? I think it's in part that. But I, what I've come to realize um, through my 20s predominantly is that the reason I found that exclusively attractive mm. is because it's what I wanted to be myself. Ah. So as, I've never wanted to be a woman with large breasts. I didn't <laughs> well, I was going to ask what you were talking about when you look at a, a woman and... Uh, like, is that where this is going? Like, you want... <laughs> Pecs to resemble breasts? <laughs> I won't be happy until I've got a D cup. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, but it, it is interesting. I, I don't know if I've necessarily pinpointed where that... I mean, the kind of the general answer is, well, society has dictated this. Yeah. Well, but there's something else in my lived experience, obviously, somewhere along the line, that I have wanted that or maybe it was some of my friends who were that build that i viewed as more popular or um, attractive and because i was drawn to them because i if i think back to to some of my friends from childhood that upon reflection i never really it was never a romantic or a sexual crush yeah but just innately drawn to them in some way yeah and you know as you get older you kind of learn much like yourself and i in that there is just like there's a click there's a personality connection yeah that you feel drawn to the other yeah 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 Yeah. and when you're younger obviously it's harder to kind of figure out what is this that i'm feeling yeah do i what is it what do i want to do with this person or do i want to just look at this person or what does this mean about me it's a very confusing time but in in hindsight if i think about the majority of my friends not all of them but a majority of my friends were that build yeah and I'm kind of discovering this as I'm saying it. I'm kind of going, <laughs> maybe that's where it came from. I just yeah. had too many skinny friends. <laughs> so it's yeah. all their fault. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, yeah. I, I, 
I guess I, I can't specifically relate to that one just because my... I think you mean specifically. Yeah, well, sorry, of course, of course. Yes, I do mean uh, specifically. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I, I feel like uh, in my case, it, a lot of it... A lot of the, uh, the women that I have found attractive over the years, like there were no... I can't remember when I was young there being any women around where I lived or women that I knew in school, anything like that, that right. uh, who sort of fit the description is of, of what I would call my type. Because I've always been very attracted to um, uh, women with sort of darker features, darker skin, um, like uh, Dominican women and um, mm. Mexican women and uh, so you know like the dark hair and the dark eyes and the and there were no women like that where I grew up and I knew sure. no one who looked like that but the, I, there's something instinctual mm. um, I guess about it when I moved to Southern California and those kind of women were everywhere I was like oh my god I'm in heaven yes um, <laughs> yeah so I don't know I, it, it probably just varies from person to person mm. but for me it feels like it was instinctual because I had never been exposed to uh, that just in my childhood or like in sure. my adolescence. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if I think about the podcasts that I really enjoy, um, and they are kind of that roaming conversation podcast, yeah. that often there is a central theme that they explore, but it, it, it's, it's just an organic conversation that yeah. kind of happens a lot of the time. A lot of the time, there is kind of five, ten minutes at the beginning before either of them realize that the recording yeah. is kind of going. And you kind of get that before we're on moment yeah. that I quite like. Yeah. And also for me, it was just kind of like, I'm just going to set that going once I knew that the levels were okay. Yeah. <laughs> Within reason. I'll make some adjustments as we move. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I like that it's not a, an official, okay, and now we're beginning. Because yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that puts a pressure on it that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, well, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Save some oxygen for us. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite podcast uh, is uh, called Pod Save America. And it's about mm. um, American politics because I'm insufferable. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it's very, it's not it's partially I suppose organic conversation but it's very much guided in that they in each episode they deal with the sort of the topics of the day the headlines of the day what's happening you know in America at the time right. and they'll have one person who presents the topic and you know okay what do you think and then each one of them will sort of give their take on it and sometimes it evolves into a conversation and sometimes it's just here's my take here's my take okay on to the next topic right. but it's very much sort of that guided sort of thing okay and then I contrast that with this new podcast that I've been listening to, uh, Shop Sounds, which is the one with Jason Hibbs, yes, the woodworker that we yes. like, uh, and his two friends. And that is that is literally, especially the first couple episodes, literally, it's just those guys not knowing what the hell to talk about and just bullshitting. Yes. And I think, like, I've enjoyed listening to it partially, I think, just because I've gotten to know their personalities a little yeah. bit through watching their YouTube videos. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it's like a sort of a further insight into, and plus the YouTube videos is just them 
on their own working on whatever piece yes. they're working on yeah and this is them speaking together so it's yeah and, uh, i know for me that i i don't because uh, my day-to-day is music mm. i don't listen to a lot of music yeah. consciously like right. if it's on in the background like when you arrived tonight i had some background music just yeah. happening because it's atmospheric and it's nice but yeah. I don't tend to like put an album on or put an artist on unless I'm really specifically in the mood for it. And yet you know so much more music than I do when it comes to just like modern popular stuff. But part of that is because clients are bringing it to me in their sessions um, and people are like, oh, have you heard this album? And I'm like, oh, great, more fucking homework, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and on my list for next week, which because this is my last teaching week of the year, next week I will be sitting down listening to the new Adele album because I haven't heard it I've only heard little bits and pieces I will be sitting down to listen to the Taylor Swift album and I will be sitting down to listen to the Lizzo album okay because I haven't heard much of any of them right okay Um, so I've got to keep my finger on the pulse got to stay relevant yeah oh my friend Beck she loves Lizzo loves Lizzo Mm -hmm. Lizzo is amazing she's got so cool she's got an incredible persona yes yeah yeah she yes just a, a beacon of visibility for many yes um and yes and getting back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with body confidence like, yeah yeah she's, absolutely she's a fucking icon absolutely yeah. absolutely and because objectively speaking she is sexy as all hell mm. like she is just because it really does come down to what is sexy. It's like, well, confidence is a huge part confidence of it. Is How the, comfortable yeah. you are in your own body yes. is... It, it's not everything, but it's most of it. Yeah, yeah. It's. I don't want to sort of go back and rehash, no. but just what you were saying a few minutes ago about, you know, sort of feeling comfortable in your own skin. Mm. Um, it's funny, you know, you saying, oh, I'm, I'm 31 and I'm, you know, just... Now, and I recall that... It was the same for me when I was in my sort of early 30s was the first time I started to feel at home in myself and comfortable yeah. and confident in myself. It's a really nice feeling. And I, I think because I'm at the beginning of it, I'm a little suspicious of it. Yeah, I'm a little bit, oh, how long is this going to last until it you know, all falls apart and I'm suddenly an insecure mess again? Yeah, And that, that's not me, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, setting myself up for that. But it's yeah. more a case of... How long is this going to last? Or is this... I mean, obviously, like everything, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. There will be moments where I'm feeling less comfortable, more yeah. comfortable, that sort of thing. But, yeah, it, it's just... It's interesting that I'm able to observe it and it isn't going away even though I am observing it. Yeah. Which is nice. It's very nice. Yeah. It's very nice. Very nice, that. Very I nice. love that's that. A, that's a nice drop, that. Do you love that? I love it. Do you like that brown bread? Oh, I love it. It's I love it. It's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that was another classic from lockdown <laughs> yeah. on Fortnite. Brown bread. Brown bread. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh. I mean, to be fair, carbs. I, I love carbs. Give me all the cheese. Give me all the cheese. <laughs> Give me... All of it. That meme I sent in the group chat today of the um, Smegnog. Oh, God. <laughs> a, that was a hurt moment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> horrible. For, for those that may not have seen it, it's a... No one has seen it except us, David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. 
the the picture is of what I assume is like a water decanter or some sort of yeah, it's like, like a snowman thing. But the nozzle that like yeah. the little hose tap is right in where is snow dick? It's on his snow dick. <laughs> it's where his icy pole would be. <laughs> Just, uh, just talking of cheese. That's all. Uh, 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 Dearing me. Yeah. When, when I, I'm, I have been in, in anticipation of us sitting down and recording this podcast. I yeah. have been trying to pinpoint or try and identify when. When this happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. we met, you auditioned for a show that I was musically directing. Yeah. We did the season of that show and then we kind of loosely kept in touch. It wasn't super regular at yeah. first. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to recall if, and maybe there wasn't, and maybe that's the, the answer is that mm. there wasn't a specific turning point where we were like, you connection. Yeah, it's funny. I don't, I don't recall there being a specific moment. Um, I do recall. I've, I've actually been thinking about this since we decided to try and you know, <laughs> try and do this record a podcast. But yeah. I was thinking about the way we first met and and how there were so many cosmic tumblers that had to line up perfectly in order for that to happen because. Yeah. You were musically directing uh, for uh, this particular theater company. I had never heard of this company. Right. And so I had no idea that these auditions were happening. And the only reason I happened to hear about them was because I was doing a show at the time and my friend Luke had auditioned. And I just happened to see on his socials that he had auditioned for a show. And I just asked, oh, you know, what did you audition for? And he said, Into the Woods. And I knew Into the Woods just because my wife loves into the woods right. and um so she had shown it to me um yeah. and i really enjoyed it and i went oh i'd love to do that show mm. and so i reached out to the company it was on a saturday night mm-hmm. and it was late on a saturday night and i emailed the the person that like the email address that was listed and i said hey i know this is really last minute there was, so there was only one more morning left of auditions yes. on a sunday morning yes um, and so I emailed late on the Saturday night and I was like, I know this is really last minute. Is there any chance you have any spots left? And it got to be like 10 AM the next morning and I hadn't heard anything. So I kind of just assumed that I'd missed it. Right. And then very shortly after that, I got an email saying, Hey, we can squeeze you in at 1130. And at this point it was 11 o'clock. Bloody hell. And of course, you know, I was living half an hour out of the city. So I had to run out of the house, jump straight in the car and fly into the city. I had nothing prepared. <laughs> Um, and so I, uh, I just happened to squeeze in, in that very last moment to get into audition for the show. And I get in and I'm like, I'm in the car illegally reading on my phone what I need to do for the audition. And I've got to have a monologue prepared. And of course I don't have a monologue prepared. Yeah. So I'm like looking up monologues. And then when I do the monologue in the audition, I've got the phone in my hand. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, anyway, it just, it, it was so infinitesimally, like the, the, the odds of me finding out about the audition, getting a slot 
within 30 being able minutes. to make it yes yeah. yeah and then actually getting in the and then on top of that actually being cast in the show yeah it was just like all of those things had to go right in order for this just to start yes but i recall during the process being really enamored with you as a um as a musical director because mm-hmm. of your warmth the the humor in your personality your technical expertise because i mean i've was relative i was very new to theater at the time and i've never had any musical training or anything like that so that was all very foreign to me but you were extremely competent and extraordinarily helpful as well um i you know this is your profession so sure it's not something you just do as a hobby but certainly um but it's it's nice to hear how it's received yeah oh yeah i mean i i took away from that show um quite a few things because um sam our director as well was it was the first time i had worked with a a director who had actually engaged with me about the depth of my character and how to develop it and you know like had spoken to me about how to work that process so you know there were things that i took away from it but um you know i I, as i said i i recall being very enamored with you as a um as a a person who does what you do mm. uh, but also just your your personality just as a kind warm funny character mm. um and then it was after that show you invited me to um come and sing at your birthday yes um through which we met mel <laughs> yes because yes, and also by pure chance she happened to be there because um sarah who had performed in my cast of falsettos yes was also singing for my birthday right um because apparently i'm elton john and i i throw concerts for my birthday <laughs> um but thank god i did yeah but sarah was singing and because mel had or who is american had just moved to melbourne had been connected with sarah who is friends with her they have a mutual friend or a, there, there is a connection there that sarah was bridesmaid at someone's way I, I can't remember the exact connection yeah. but they were put in touch because sarah would be a good contact person for mel who is a new american in melbourne not really knowing anybody and also a an avid collector of people that's well put yes yeah. yes <laughs> i noted yes noticed <laughs> this yes i am one of the collected yes <laughs> she didn't just collect you oh, she... <laughs> But, but by pure chance, she happened to be there, which is when you two met as well. Yeah. Um, so. Well, yeah. no, we actually didn't. Oh, you didn't meet that. No, we didn't meet. So she could only stay for... A hot second, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she saw me sing, because I sang two songs. She saw me sing the first one. Yeah. And then she left. And she found me on Facebook and friended me. And she was yeah. like, hey, I saw you sing. Uh, great job. We should be friends. And I was like, who the hell are you? Right. Um, but I accepted just because, yeah. you know, she, a, a beautiful woman that leads with a compliment. Absolutely. Well, honestly, no. Right. Yeah. I, I, I will say that that is not something cause I mean, you, I, I mean, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but you get a lot of bullshit like that in Facebook where you certainly, well, I, I know in theater foyers, you get a lot of that bullshit of like, Oh, we should do, we should work together. We should like, we should do something together. And admittedly when Mel came and talked to me after the music portion of yeah. the party had finished and she was like, we should do something. I'd love you to play my show. Yeah. I was 
it's kind of like with a grain of salt. It's like, oh, that'd be lovely. You know, you know yeah. Hit, hit me up. Let's talk. Yeah. Because those conversations seldom, if ever, go anywhere. Yeah. But Mel is not that person. Well, two days later, I had a contract <laughs> in my email. I was like, how did you get my email? <laughs> it's like, oh, I stopped your, I stopped your website. Yeah. Like, Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> Good. And quite literally, the, the next conversation I had with Mel was at the photo shoot for the show in drag. It was three or four meetings into three or four times seeing her yeah. before she saw me out of drag. Right. She had never met David. She had only, only ever met, met Peppy. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, the, the second time I ever saw her, and I think the first time I actually saw her in person because I... We, as I said, we'd never actually met because she right. left. Yeah. So I only kind of knew her through Facebook. Right. And then I happened to be getting off the train one day at Box Hill Central because I lived in Box Hill at the time. Yeah. I was walking out of the train station to go home and she happened to be going into Box Hill Central to buy fish. <laughs> it, it was the most random thing, but we were walking by what each other. What we've come to know is a, a very male thing. Yes. Just to be like, why are you here? Never mind. <laughs> of course you're buying fish in Box Hill. Why not? But we're walking by each other and I recognized her and mm. she recognized me and it was kind of this awkward moment of, oh, it's you. And and we were like, oh, and then we like awkwardly hugged each other and she was like, I'm going to buy fish. Come with me. And I was like, why would I do that? But okay. <laughs> and I wound up walking with her to go and get fish and we just chatted for a few minutes. It was very weird. Yeah. But I, it was in that moment that I kind of went, this is who this woman is. Yep. She's weird, but I like her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, I don't know. I, I don't even know where that story goes from here. But No. But anyway. It, it, yeah. It's, it is interesting, isn't it? Just how by chance these things happen. So happenstance. Yes. But then look at us now. Yeah. It's very lovely, um, the things you're saying about me. That's, that's very nice. I can go on. <laughs> I mean, later. <laughs> I mean, it'll be good to have a record of it. You know, just, you know, uh, for, for a little no, what, I, what, I, what I do want to say, genuinely, without, without trying to be um, cheeky or, mm. you know, to stay in the humor, it, you, uh, during that show, you made me feel good about singing. Because I do not classify myself as a singer, um, and I am not technically proficient as a singer. Um, but during that show, the, the the guidance that you gave us, you made me feel good about what I was able to do, and that wasn't something I had felt previously. That's so awesome! Thank you. No, thank you. That's that's really cool. Because I mean, yeah, like. I don't know if you would call it a philosophy, but one of the things that I am very adamant about is that people should sound like themselves. And that comes from me for the longest of times in my vocal journey, trying to sound like other people or sound the way I am inverted commas meant to sound. Yeah. I think that's my trap. And so when I work with singers, I'm very careful not to impose what they should sound like but rather let's discover what you actually do sound like and let's see what vocal colors you have accessible to you right and and let's build that connection and strengthen that and and explore it so that that's really lovely to hear that 
that that was your takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by, by a similar token, I think I very quickly felt drawn to you through that process because you are one of the very, very, very few straight men that I felt comfortable around without you having to demonstrate over a period of time that I was safe around you. Because okay. as a, I don't want to be like, as a gay man, this, as a gay yeah, man, yeah. But, but my lived experience is that uh, straight men, particularly straight white men, are very aggressive, very heteromasculine, very mm. uh, of which I am not. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it, and so it's, it, I'm always having to scan when I go into an environment to uh, ascertain if I am safe, you know, what version of myself can I be? And around you very quickly, I realized I could just be. And so that in itself carries a lot of power. Hmm. That that within itself is very... Uh, I, I think that's what I recognized very early on was that I was just able to be comfortable around you, that I didn't feel like I had to tread on eggshells. I didn't have to withhold. And it's not about like I could say whatever I wanted to say. It's more a case of I could just be. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not a common thing. Well, I... Uh, Thank you for that. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Oh, cheers. Oh, cheers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Peak! <laughs> no, I, I think... Um, uh, f- for me, I think there's, a, there's something that resonates with me um, about that because I have also experienced heteromasculinity in that same way. Mm. Because I, uh, as I've I've told you privately in the past, I was horribly bullied in school. Um, And, you know, this was in the the 80s and the 90s. And at the time, the number one one slur for um, schoolboys to call other schoolboys was, you know, homosexual slurs. Yeah. And so I, I got that all the time because I was not ultra mask you know like i i was a, just a softer more sensitive kid definitely on the nerdy side um and so i i got bullied horrendously by those kind of guys mm. um and it and it it drew me away from it you know I, we were just discussing the other night actually it, it pulled me away from things that i really loved like i yeah. loved playing sports mm. as a kid I, I really loved playing baseball um you know, I eventually had to leave playing baseball because a lot of these guys were just nasty and I, I couldn't be around them. Um, so I had to, you know, I, that was something I really loved as a, like a 12, 13 year old boy. And it was right around that age when I was like, I just can't play this game that I love anymore because I can't be around that. Mm. And so I had to go and do other things. Um, so my experience of that, um, you know, of heteromasculinity was very much like yours when you say, you know, like as a, as a gay kid, as a gay teenager, you would have mm. felt that, you know. Hugely so, um, yeah. And it's it's funny because I was a straight kid, mm. but I was still made to feel that same way yeah. by those kind of guys. There's something um, oddly healing about that in that it wasn't my gayness Sorry for how that sounds. No, no, no. no I, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. No, it was the fact that it sounded like anus. But it, uh, 
It but, wasn't my anus that they were. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my anus that was the problem after all. In fact, um, I've received many compliments. I, I think you're getting off track here. Oh, Christ. <laughs> you're being cheeky. <laughs> Sorry. Next time I'll ask before I... Oh, God. <laughs> I've, I've gone away. <laughs> It wasn't your gayness. It wasn't. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's something healing in that. It wasn't my being gay uh, as much as it was maybe the kind of that toxic masculinity and how it very quickly becomes a, a, a survival for, for people. You know, there's a pecking order established kind of somewhat quickly and you're either at the top of that pecking order and i'm sure for those um for those guys there's insecurity that goes along with that as well in the sense that they have to maintain this yeah to stay at the top of that so that they don't fall victim to this gross yeah thing that they are guilty of perpetuating yeah um yeah Yeah. it's interesting it's it's funny because uh in a therapy session that i was having last month or the month before my psychologist I was relaying some of this to him as well and he said I want you to go away and I want you to do some research and I want you to find out what happened to your you know like the the, the person who was the biggest bully to you and I didn't want to do that sure and I said that to him in the session I was like I don't want to you know I don't want to think about him I don't want to know what he's up to and what it felt like he was asking me to do was go and research him and then if I found out that his life was horrible or something like that it would make me feel better and I was like that wouldn't make me feel better mm. like it, it's not it, it wouldn't make me feel good to know that some person out there is having a terrible life it also wouldn't take away all the stuff that happened to me yeah. you know like that stuff is there mm. I've got to deal with that um, and he said you know that's not what it's about I just think it would be good for you to have some closure you know to know sure. and I was like I, I, I still to this day don't understand how that gives me closure but anyway I did go away and I messaged a couple of people that I went to high school with and said you know hey do you do you remember this guy do you have any idea what happened to him and it turned out that he had actually dated a, a good friend of mine right for a number of years after I had left and gone my own way and so I wound up having a chat with her a, a good long chat with her uh, and she said um First of all, he does have a terrible life still, um, and he had a terrible life as a kid, which right. uh, which I think you know if you think about the the stereotype of the high school bully, the the kid who broken comes from home. comes from a broken home is bullied himself at home. That's who this kid was. Right. His father was an alcoholic, oh. was abusive, um, and he spent a lot of time being bullied himself, and so he came to school and felt the need to dominate. Because, I mean, I feel that there is, uh, particularly among adolescent males, once that testosterone starts to kick in in the early teen years, that starts to manifest anyway, that mm. sort of animal need to dominate. Um, but among someone who has those kind of psychological and emotional conditions, mm. um, it just exacerbates it, I think, and, and that was that was who he was, at least it was who he was for me. Mm. Um and, and just like I thought, finding out that his life today, you know, he's apparently an alcoholic. He himself is abusive. Um, and the cycle continues. Yeah. And, that, you know, that's not, I don't have closure from that. And I don't, it's not nice for me to know. So, yeah, I don't know. But. 
Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>just kind of sitting with that as as an exercise that your therapist gave you yeah in terms of I'm, I'm, and i'm sure there is more to it than see you did better than that person um uh, but I, it, I would hope so yeah, yeah. <laughs> get a new therapist <laughs> uh, but uh yeah no it, it's it's interesting i know for me going to the um talk about when you realize that you're an adult is when you go to your 10-year uh high school reunion oh, I missed my it's like oh well i missed my fifth one because i was in taiwan with josh mm. and i was really disappointed not to go there because my immediate friend group all of them were able to attend yeah um and i was the only one that couldn't make it and as it turned out when i went to the 10th I was the only one from our friend group that went. Yeah. But there was... I won't say that it was healing, but it was interesting talking to the, quote, popular kids and, you know, the jocks and that sort of thing. And, yeah. You know, obviously, I'm not going to be mates with all of these people. I'm, I'm not necessarily their type of person either. Mm. But it was really interesting meeting them 10 years later. Yeah where a lot of the high school bullshit and pretense had dropped away. Yeah. And also interesting talking to a couple of them, how they viewed our friend group as kind of the popular group. Really? Where, thanks. No, 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 I was just being stupid. <laughs> clearly directed but, squarely at you. Yeah, yeah. But no, but it was just interesting uh, to, to have that conversation for their perspective to be that we were the clicky cool group that nobody could go near and we were like no, no we were the losers that That's... couldn't hang out with anybody else and like you all looked down on us and they were like no you guys were the clicky group we, but we weren't you guys were that and they're That's like we so were not weird. I can because I'm just it's now, so weird I'm imagining now like those people from my yep. high school saying the same thing to me and yeah. I we were so the outcasts. Like, a hundred percent. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, look, the, the truth lies somewhere in sure. the gray area between that. But it was just an interesting thing to hear their perspective that they looked at our friend group who were effectively the, the, the social outcasts yeah. and like the, there were a couple of the theater kids in that group and yeah. maths nerds and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like Jono, who is now uh, a doctor. Yeah one of the things that he used to get ribbed about in, in high school was people would just call him DNA analysis. Like, just making fact, fun of the fact that he was so smart, so intelligent. Yeah. And just so wired that all of that sort of stuff just made sense to him. Yeah. Because he worked really hard. I remember one science test that he did, he got 110%. People are like, how do you get more than 100%? <laughs> it's like, well, you answer all the questions correctly, but then you provide extra information that has also has value. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't make him more popular in the, that explanation. but Can't imagine why. No, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But like, we were definitely the social outcast group mm. in that respect. Um, and I actually haven't talked about it to, to that friend group as to whether they felt the same as I did. 
Um, I would love to have that conversation, actually. Come to think of it. Um, but it was interesting having that perspective of something that I thought was so clear-cut and so yeah. that's the way that was. Yeah. I don't want to have conversations with anyone I went to high school with. <laughs> that's that's not 100% true. There, there are definitely people that I would like to reconnect with just to find out how they've gone, and, mm. and I'm sure it would be fun to catch up. But just through social media, having been connected with you know quite a few people I did go to high school with and, you know... I come from, I come from the country in, sure. in blue collar America, and so there are a lot. So of, what would be known as a red state? Uh, no, blue blue, blue state. state. But um, because I come from New York, if you were to look at the electoral map of New York, mm. New York City is blue. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of tiny patches of blue here and there, and the entire rest of the map is red. Right. And I come from a red area. Right. Um, and still to this day. Uh, if you were to go there, you'd find a lot of people who would have Trump signs in their front yard. Still. And, oh, God, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So, anyway. I've left anyway, it. Anyway, <laughs> I live in Melbourne now. <laughs> it's interesting, having that perspective of childhood. Anyway, yeah. 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 Like, something that I'm asked... Uh, somewhat frequently, I won't say it's a, a lot, but somewhat frequently, I get asked, do I ever see myself moving back to Tasmania where I grew up? Um, and the answer is no. Yeah. No, I don't. But that's not a value judgment on, on Tasmania. But there, I heard an expression recently that kind of resonates, and I think it gives voice to one of the many reasons why I, I don't see myself or Josh and I moving to Tassie, hmm. is that you can't heal where the hurt happened. Yeah. And like so much of what informed and what still informs some trauma that I'm navigating and, yeah. and working on. Yeah. Um, so much, if not all of that, happened there. Yeah. Um, and Tasmania in particular has such a noted history of yeah. homophobia, as Hannah Gadsby has made. Absolutely. Very Homosexuality was illegal in Tasmania until, until the mid 1998. Yeah. yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Crazy. And I was a 90s baby, so I, I grew up during that time. Yeah. And even, I, I don't consciously remember when it became, when it was no longer illegal. Yeah. But just because something becomes. Yes. Legal does not mean that people's minds are immediately changed. Exactly. And I distinctly remember several, you know, friends, like close friends and family members, all have all just saying these really horrible yeah. things about gay people. Yeah. One one family member that sticks out in my mind. Uh, I remember them passing the comment, and this was before I knew myself to be gay yeah but i distinctly remember being in the car with them and they're saying that's why gay men all grow up to be such dirty old men it's because of all the anal sex they just have such loose bowels and they shit everywhere it's disgusting oh, Jesus. and like it's just it's still in my head yeah just that disgust that they had yeah as it is in my even as a even as a heterosexual male growing up like that mm. was it was absolutely drilled into us as well that homosexual specifically homosexual men yep because homosexual women were fetishized 
Yes. So yeah, um, it was heterosexual men that were looked at with disgust, and I and I had uh, an uncle who was gay, mm. um, and he passed away in the mid nineties um, from AIDS. HIV. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to this day, matter of fact, the last time I was home in New York, I was sitting in the living room with my grandmother, um, and I was having a conversation with her about him because I was a kid when he passed away, and I didn't. The family very much tried to shield me from him mm. because of their perception that the gay might be catching. Right. Or, you know, he was infected with HIV. Um, right. And so, you know, they at the time didn't really know how that could be transmitted. So I remember there was a massive freak out one day because he was drinking a, a can of Diet Pepsi. Mm. And I had picked up his can and taken a sip from it. And my mother fucking Jeez. flipped. Um, and she like took me to brush my teeth and the whole thing because she was terrified that I was going to catch HIV. Wow. Anyway, um, last time I was home, I was sitting in the in the living room with my grandmother, and I, I wanted to have a conversation about him. And so I started talking with her about it, and she still to this day, and she get she gets very emotional about it. She she you know, she got choked up, and she mm. was trying to hold it back, and she still to this day is convinced that he was gay because she did something wrong. Oh, she failed him in some way and she carries this guilt with mm. her in her heart that she's the reason that he died. God. Yeah. What a um, thing to carry. I know. And and not just to carry it, but over the course of all of these years to not have learned that that's not the case. Mm. You know? I, to not set herself free from that by... Yeah. Yeah. God, what a way to live. Yeah. But, but you know, as I say, it, it reinforces that it, it wasn't just... It wasn't just uh, homosexual people who were who were taught that. It, like, we were all taught that yeah. that was, you know? And as I said, the, the number one slur that I got called... Was the F word? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. constantly. Yeah. I know I, there are a number of people within the queer community who reclaim that word and, and use it flippantly. And <laughs> I just heard someone use it the other day and right. I, I was like, oh, and, and they said to me, I can say that you can't say that. And I went, no, 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 I know. I'm just not used to hearing it anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I recall a, a couple of times I've used that word flippantly in in a form of reclamation when we've been playing Fortnite. <laughs> mm-hmm. I still have a hard time acknowledging publicly that we play Fortnite. Like when someone shoots you and you say homophobe? Yeah, well, <laughs> it is blatant homophobia. They have an entire team they could be picking on and they go for me. Just because I'm dressed as a fucking unicorn... <laughs> With rainbow wings and a silver glitter jacket and red nylon shorts. Oh, a fabulous unicorn, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean, Fabio Sparkleman is, <laughs> is a really cool skin. It's probably my favorite skin that they've ever released. But I, I, I recall a couple of times I've used that word of being like, you've, you know, you've messed with the wrong F word. Yeah. Um, and I know, and I've heard you either bristle or be like, Oh, I like because I can hear that you feel that word. I do. Yeah, it it very much 
feels like the n-word to me yeah um, and and you know like black people will openly say that's our word we can say it sure we can't say it and that and that's fine yeah doesn't mean that but i still don't like it yes yeah yeah which is probably the best relationship to have to that word yeah, is to I, not I like it so. yeah um yeah. rather than again some of my family members are like no we can use that word you know a word doesn't a word only has the power that you give it and I'm not giving it that power so I can use it I don't mean it offensively it's like yeah way to make it all about you right oh look <laughs> at you centering yourself look yeah. at that you cis white dickhead the universe <laughs> is a story and you're the main character <laughs> <laughs> well this has been fabulous it has it has what a good start right right <laughs> What uh, a bitch have, to edit this will be. How long have we been talking? Uh, 90 minutes. Oh, shit. There's going to be a lot to edit out of that. <laughs> it's fine. I, I'm looking forward to reliving it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. No, and thank you very much. No, no, no. Thank oh, I you. I insist. No, oh, I insist. Because I'm from Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but this has been lots of fun. I, I look forward to the next time we get to sit down and put something down and perhaps stay on topic (laughs) (laughs) we might have to write it down just to remind ourselves (laughs) well thank you thank you thank you and thank all of you and all of you all one of you that might listen David Butler Studio Podcast.